You're listening to The Dice Men Cometh, broadcast live to air on Edge Radio 99.3 FM and proudly sponsored by LFG Australia. The Dice Men Cometh! This is going to be very professional. Go on, Garth, choke that pizza down. Go on. Uh, this is Garth. And Mark and Leon from the Dice Men Cometh. This is episode 294 and I speak to you with three quarters of a mouthful of pizza. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we put Garth on the spot there. Oh, we put Garth on the spot there because he's been away for such a long time. Leon and I, we've been carrying the weight. I believe the exact words are, you've done bugger all the last month. <laughs> hang hang yeah. on. Yeah. Have you not been listening to my amazing introductions uh, that I've been sending you guys yeah. from uh, fair various point. countries around the world? So look, this is the first time of 2020 that the three dice people are in the same room at the same time in front of the same microphones. Mm. And this is exciting. It's episode 294. Happy New Year. Merry everything. Yep. Garth, you're you're about a month late on that. Oh, shush. Um, when the time is right, mm-hmm. and I mean not this episode because it is so full, I'll give you a little story about what my last month or so has been like being mm. on holidays. So the short version is long service leave, two thumbs up. I get, highly recommend. I, You'll do again, five stars. I get mine next week. Oh, Ooh, no wonder you're smiling. Yeah. But we have... A jam-packed show full of jam because Mark and I have just come back from CanCon. Woo! Finally! No one wants to hear about that. The very first time that these particular dice men have made that. And Leon, Uh eh, couldn't even be bothered this time. No. Um, But we also have some interviews from there. And then we're going to talk about a game and arguably our favourite game from that particular convention. So we better throw to a song. And then we're going to throw to some interviews. And then Leon's going to ask us some CanCon questions. And then we're going to talk about a game. And this week, and this year, and this episode is sponsored by our good friends at LFG, and we got the joy of visiting their shop Ooh. in Canberra. In the person. Canberra. We might even, Canberra. We might even talk about it later. I think we might. So look, welcome to Edge Radio 99.3 FM. It's a Dice Man Cometh. We'll be back after this rock and beat. This is Richard from Melbourne, and when I want to listen to two guys complaining that the other one is half-assing their research about board games, I listen to The Dice Men Cometh. Well, there you go. That was Boogie Nights with Somebody to Love here with The Dice Men Cometh on Edge Radio 99.3 FM. And, of course, The Dice Men Cometh are proudly sponsored by lfg-oz.com.au. Now, I'm sure... Garth, yes. that you and I will talk later about our visit to the LFG store in Canberra, ACT with Charles. But first, what we're going to do is we're going to play my interview. Oh, with my good friend. With our good friend, Garth. Okay. Martin Wallace. He's a bit elusive. He doesn't go to a lot of board game conventions, but we played games with him and I also had a chance to chat with him. So here we are, Martin Wallace from CanCon. All right, so here I am, Sunday at CanCon, and I've managed to grab a few minutes with one of Australia's, if not one of the global game scene's biggest names, resident here in Australia now, Martin Wallace. Martin, welcome. 
Great, great to see you again. I know you've always got lots on the go. Garth and I were very lucky to play a new prototype of yours. We loved it, and it's got, gotten a lot of buzz here. What can you tell us about that game? Uh, yeah, the moment it's subject to an NDA. Ah. As far as I'm aware, it's going to be announced in Nuremberg, which isn't too far away. I think it's only a few weeks away. So hopefully it should be public knowledge, possibly within a month. So it's a project that I'm working on for Cosmos. Uh, it's based on an IP, hence the NDA. But it's a, when I say heavyweight, it is a heavy game. Uh, it's an economic game. Yes. But, and, as you know, the rules aren't complicated. No, not at all. It was all in the, the stra more the strategy. Yeah. Played it here and everybody's really enjoyed it. I took it to BGGCon. Everybody played it there, really loved it. Uh, so I, I think this has got the potential to do really well. I mean, it, it is, if you like economic games, you'll love it. Say, it it's that thing where... You don't have to worry about a really high rules overhead. So, yeah, I, I, I'm quietly feeling confident that I should do well. Awesome. Now, as I said, knowing you, you've always got about 27 billion things on at once. Tell me about it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so what's going on at the moment? Okay, so, yeah, so I'm working on that. I'm working on an expansion for Australia mm -hmm. with Mandy, which is going to allow for up to five players, which involves one player taking on the role of Cthulhu. So they get to have fun messing up everybody's plans with all of these minor demons that they can see. Yes. So you don't have to play it with five, yeah. but if you do want to go to five, then there's a five-player option. But yeah. you can still play with expansion at four, three, theory, even two-player. Okay. Probably struggles solo. <laughs> so, um, so I'm working on that, developing that, and that will go on Kickstarter at some point. Um, there's a game... Uh, that used to be called Runestones, and it's now called Bloodstones, because Queen stole our name. And that's going to be on Kickstarter, hopefully sometime this year. That's a fantasy war game empire thing. I think Garth Price has seen it a, a while ago. Because when you, when you say, oh, fantasy war game, the thing about this is it's how it's presented in that the physical presentation game, because each player has a set of these domino-style tiles. That represents their forces, but it also represents their economy in that if you want to build a tile, you've got to spend other tiles. See? And the thing is, because the tiles cycle, it's almost like the tiles are cards. But the, the, the neat twist is, if I build a unit on the board, then I no longer have that in my cycle. So I lose its kind of monetary value or any other benefits on it. So if you put down all of your tiles that have a kind of high money value, it's like... You kind of got what you call pips. So you've got these things. Tiles can have two to five pips and use pips for movement and in combat. So if you put all of your high pip tiles into play, they're not in your deck cycle. So when you come to combat or come to moving things, you struggle. So you've got that element going on. It also means in terms of components, rather than having a hundred different types of bits in your game, you know, cards here, figures there, cancers here, each player's just got a set of 36 tiles. And that's it. And then you've got some villagers. So it's designed to be really clean in terms of components. But the play is really deep because each faction is different. So you've got like one faction, they've got dragons. Dragons are your one-use nuclear weapon. You will win the battle, okay? You will kill everybody. But then afterwards, your dragon, given that it's eaten a lot, will fly off and you won't see it for a while. So you don't use it on a tiny little battle. You want to use it on the big battles. Then you've got the necromancers. If the necromancers win a battle, they get to turn the dead into zombies. So they want to win little battles. 
They just want to go out and catch some folks on their own in the middle of nowhere, kill them, turn them into zombies. And they, then they can build up their zombie army. In a zombie army, they just march on their own. They just go chunk, chunk, chunk. <laughs> Uh, then you got the giants. They like building walls. Yeah. So they, they, they just like, yeah, we're just going to build a wall, hide behind it, nothing to see. So if you like turtling, take the giants. Yeah. And then you got the humans, kind of the knights. And they're, 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 they're a bit on the dull side, but they, they have a bigger hand size and they've got two leaders rather than one. So they're, they're, they're zippy. They can get around a bit. And those are the core factions. And then we've got two already designed expansions. So we've got what you call kind of core sets, but really they're the Vikings. Like, they got lots of boats, they're really good near water. If things are looking bad, they'll get in the ships and sail away, so they're really difficult to catch. So then they're cool. And then my favorite faction are the Golden Horde. See, in the game, one of the things you're trying to do is build villages, because that's how you get points. So it's like, you try to get your villages down and then protect them, because other people can destroy your villages. But it's quite a hard thing to do, because you can only destroy villages at the very beginning of your turn, which means you have to have got in have to invade the previous turn, yeah. which means the other player's got time to kick you out. Yeah. So it's quite hard to destroy villages. But then you've got the Golden Horde. They have no villages. So they've got nothing to protect. They've got no reason. And also, they can pillage villages during their turn. So they can get in, burn your villages down, and then run away before you can do anything. <laughs> or they just change the entire dynamic game. So you've, you've got these imperfections, and on their own, the, rule, the rules are relatively simple. There's no big, long rule sheet. So you have to do this on just, and it's just could be different from one or two units, but it makes a massive difference to the way you play them. So again, it's like, if, I, you know, if I'm fighting against a dragon player, I want a thin line of units yeah. to protect myself. Because a dragon will never attack a unit on its own, because what's the point? Because it will fly away. So a nice thin line, no dragons, they're coming near me. That is exactly the wrong defense against the necromancer. You there, you want to be in a big stack, because there's, there's safety in numbers. You don't want to leave the units on their own, so you have to adapt. So yeah, so that's, uh, we're getting the artwork done for that at the moment. I'm doing that with uh, PSC, Plastic Soldier yes. Company. David Turtsey's also working on a solo version, mm -hmm. which is looking good. So um, yeah, we're doing. Quite, I'm doing quite a bit of stuff with David at the moment okay. with PSC. So um, as you know, David gets around. He like, likes working with other designers. So yeah, he's doing some development work on that as well. Oh, so awesome. yeah, I, I for me, every time I play it, it plays differently. So as I say, the problem is going to be coming overcoming people's assumption that it's just another generic fantasy asymmetric war game kind yeah. of thing. Is that going to be kickstarted? Absolutely. To be honest, yeah. at the moment, I mean, we're still discussing it, but the chances are it'll probably be kickstarter only, because this is going to be a very expensive game to produce, because okay. it's got nearly 300 yeah. Ma Young pieces uh, in it. There's a lot of stuff in it. Yeah. And so we're struggling with how to get the price down for retail, and at the moment the discussion is, yeah, let's forget retail. So it might just be Kickstarter only. But the, the nice thing is expanding. We've also, David's working on another two expansions. He's doing some dwarves and some gins. But we've also got different maps, because the map also changes the play. So it's infinitely expandable. So what we're probably going to do is do a Kickstarter, the base set, and then we'll be doing some Kickstarters for the expansion sets. Um, now, what I did forget, we also got to play, Garth and I, Rocket Men, which you said is super close to launching. In fact, maybe even by the time this interview has come out, it will, will already be on Kickstarter. 
should be on Kickstarter on Monday, and I know it's Monday here, but yeah. since we're ahead of time, and it's a pretty short campaign, so you better upload this quickly. Okay, absolutely. Yeah. You want to tell us a little bit about Rocketman? Uh, yeah, Rocketman is it's about the modern space race. So think of Elon Musk. Yes, it's about getting your rockets into space. Ultimately, that's what it's about. Yes. But to do that successfully, you also have to have an economy. It's not just enough to build spaceships. Yes. You also have to get your money engine going by doing land-based stuff. That, that's kind of the key twist in it. It's not just a case of get some money, build a rocket, and hope it gets it. So you've got to be think a little bit about how you construct the deck, because it is a deck-building game. Yes. You buy cars, put them into your deck cycle. The kind of twist is that when you build your rocket, the cards go from your hand onto the rocket. Yes. So as the game goes on, you're building your rocket up, which is thinning your deck. So, you know, and it is a viable strategy sometimes to put things on your rocket that don't actually help it much, yes. but it just gets it out of your deck cycle. The only downside is you have to pay to put everything on your rocket. So you've got this ongoing decision that you like, okay, what missions am I going to go for? There's all sorts of different missions, so you can go to Earth orbit, Mars, the moon, with different types of missions. So it might be a manned mission, it might be a moon base, it might be an orbital shipyard, a space hotel. And each of these things, when you do succeed at a mission, it gives you an ongoing bonus. So just getting a simple satellite up will give you plus one rocket point. Yes. If you get a space hotel, you, you get extra money each turn. So again, that's another thing you need to be looking at, is what short-term projects I go for to help my long-term projects. Like the, the game I was playing this morning, folks, I decided my long-term aim was to go for Mars. That requires a lot of rocket points, so I thought, okay, the first thing I'm going to do is get an orbital shipyard, because that gives me plus four rocket, and that immediately gives me a boost. But an orbital shipyard is quite, in itself, needs a lot of rocket points to get in space, because they're not light. You know, satellite, really easy to get up. An orbital shipyard, that's a big thing. There's a lot of forward thinking you could do in a game. You've got to have a strategy. You can't just do random stuff yeah and then there's also the whole the risk management of yes. when you launch the actual mission itself yes. you've got a deck that you flip over it's got various different numbers there is a push your luck element but it's that risk mitigation as well you've got to do yes i mean um if you just go for a cheap and cheerful launch with your rocket points chances are you'll fail you've yeah. got to add stuff multi-user space suit allows you to discard one mission card you know so if you get a bad card draw you can just put that to one side and draw another one yeah. You get afterburners, it can give you a boost. There's different symbols that can give you a boost, but the symbols only give you a boost depending on where you're going. Yeah, so there, there's a lot more going on than you first thing. But yeah, there is that element of blood, because space travel is inherently risky. Otherwise, everyone would be sending up rockets. The, re the reality is lots of rockets still blow up. So you, you have to make the choice. Do you, do you keep costs down and make it risky, or do you spend your time and spend more money and put every safety feature you can think of yeah. on that rocket. Because if you do do that, the odds are you will succeed. Yes. So, I mean, I know there's some people, oh, you know, there's a lot of luck on it. It's like, you've given so many tools yes. to deal with that. You just have to decide to what degree you want to reduce something. Yes. Risk mitigation yes. is a huge part of the game. And as you said, that really gives you some interesting decisions about how much do I want to mitigate that risk, absolutely. And also, it's something that you don't see in Deck Builders. That thing, you know, where you've got one more card to draw, you're two spaces short, do you abort, and then save some cards? Because if you abort, you can only discard some cards. Yes. Like, or do you go for it? Knowing that there's potential for there to be a zero or one. And it's interesting the number of times I've played it, where those people, they have a ten. For me, I think that's great. Yeah. You know, do you go for it or not? And then... You know, when they do, they do. They, they, they literally, yeah, they're, they're whooping. <laughs> you know, there's that sense of achievement. Yes. And at the end of the day, all you've done is flip two. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> 
but, you know, they get into it. Yeah, yeah, there was a real cheer. And you're right, I mean, there will be those perfect information gamers. It's not for them, but, you know, that moment where you flip over and you needed to, and you got a two, and you land on Mars, and you yes. get the big victory points, and, yeah, it's awesome. It also means, interesting when I comments on Patriots and saying, you know, even if you don't win, just being able to achieve a mission in itself, there's a degree of satisfaction. Okay, I didn't win, but I did manage to do this. Yes. So, you, you know, you still, you know how there are some games where, I think there are some games where the only point is you either win yeah. or you don't. Well, that, those sort of race sort of games, yeah. There are other games where, because of the experience of playing, winning is secondary. You're, you're actually enjoying playing the game. And because there's a kind of story unfolding. Absolutely. Because I'm going, and it's like, and then at the end of it, it's like, okay, I didn't win, but I did enjoy my time yeah. in between. You know, and I think that that's something the game does have. That, you know, you can still feel pleased that you had a plan and you saw that plan through. So I'm doing quite a bit of stuff with PSC, so I'm working on, and it's not fully public knowledge, but we're chasing down the license for Rome Total War. So I've done a big Empire game, which is awesome. It's just really good, really, even though I say so myself. It's <laughs> so good. It plays from one to seven players wow. with no rule changes. Wow. You know how when you play an Empire game and sometimes there's two of you and yes. the bat's empty? Yes. No matter how many players, all seven empires are in play. So if it was just a two-player game, you've still got the other five big empires yes. in there, and they can be brutal. There's a very simple automa, which is basically you just flip a card, and it tells you what they do. Yeah. And you think, oh, that seems a bit dumb. But the way the cards come out, the way they do things, sometimes they, they are seem to play smarter than a human. Okay. They are competitive. Yeah. It's not like they're dumb. I mean, the last game I played, we played a six-player game. So there was one empire that was played by the Automa, and the Automa won. <laughs> <laughs> Way to make six people feel really stupid, yeah. So the random deck draw beat you, beat all of you. Oh, wow. yeah. The basic rules are very simple. Okay? You know, it's not an overly complicated game, but there's an awful lot to think about within a very simple set of rules. So that's going to be, that's probably... I don't know, 18 months or something okay. like that. We'll keep an eye on that one. Yeah. yeah, and I'm doing various projects. I have done some for eight games. I'm also working on a project for Alicat, uh, which is going to be quite a big project. So, yeah, I'm very busy at the moment. Now, Man, I know one of the things that fans love, your fans, is to meet you in person. And I know you go to a lot of cons. What are, you, what are your upcoming travel plans if people want to catch up with you? Yeah, to be honest, I don't travel as much as I like. Yeah. Because because we, we're so far from everywhere here. Well, yeah, and also Julia, she complains a lot. <laughs> uh, Australia, I'm hoping to be at the Sydney... LFG, awesome. Uh, I skipped it last year, but I'm hoping to be there this year. I'm not going to be at the UK Games Expo, so I'm not doing anything UK Games based this year. I will be at Gen Con, so for American listeners, I will be at Gen Con. And as ever, I'm always at Essen. Yeah, that's going to be the main thing. Today. So for Australian fans, <laughs> LFG in Sydney, all three Dicemen will be there this year. Okay, cool. So we'll great. definitely catch you up for a yeah. pint. That's great, excellent. Um, and look, lovely to catch up with you here. So excited to, to play your games and always lovely to catch up with you, Mark. Thank you okay. so much. Okay, cheers. Bye-bye. That was Mark there talking with Martin Wallace at CanCon, one of the biggest designers in the world at the moment. And we're going to chat a bit more about the game that he was just mentioning not too long ago after this next song on Edge Radio 99.3 FM with the Dice Men Cometh, brought to you by LFG. Check them out. I'm calling you a liar.
G'day, my name's David, I'm from Grail Games, and when I want to listen to an Aussie podcast, I listen to the Dice Men Cometh. Well, there you go, that was Florence and the Machine with I'm Not Calling You a Liar. You're with the Dice Men Cometh on Edge Radio 99.3 FM, I think. Yes, yeah, so I know it's been a while. Men Cometh, it's Edge Radio, we're sponsored by LFG, buy all the games from them. We're going to play Mark's interview with Dave Harding from Grail Games who's got a new Kickstarter coming up right now. So, Mark, push the button, and we get to listen to Mark talking with David. So here I am at my first CanCon, and who should I bump into but, oh, let's call him one of the, the doyens of Australian board gaming scene. It's David Hardman Harding. David, what have you been up to? I've just been playing games, bumming around. Yeah, not much. Grail Games has now become part of a, of a larger world, as we reported oh, um, yeah. a little while back. What's been happening since then? Like uh, pina yeah. coladas by the pool? No, they're disgusting. So um, this whole year I've just been developing games for other lines, like Madigo, a lot of card games for them, and for Grail Games. But I haven't been publishing anything this year as the process of becoming a new entity, I guess you could say, has come into effect. But I've been busy developing lots of new games for other people uh, under the same big umbrella. Just put a Kickstarter on at the end of 2020, Medici the Dice game. February will be Boomerang Family. And then it's all going to start coming out. Lots of things. Five or six Kickstarters planned already after that. Anything you can tease us about what might be contained in among those? Yeah. So let me think. I've forgotten the order, but there's um, there's a new Kinesia game coming. There's a new Medici game. So Medici, Medici the card game, Medici the board game, and now Medici the dice game. And now another Medici game, which is a brand new bigger game. Looking at a couple of games from Scott Arms uh, coming soon, but I've missed one. Oh, and a remake of an old game called Safranito, which is uh, from 2010. Um, So look that up. Um, There's heaps, I can't remember. Fantastic. No, look, it's great that you're busy. The tan looks really good. What do you feel is the number one difference from going from being your own studio to now working with a larger group? Um, So when you're all on your own, pretty much, it's hard to deal with everything. So you've got to deal with shipping, fulfilment, warehousing, getting an artist, design, development, uh, marketing, all that stuff. But now I just have to worry about, I mean, I still think about all that stuff, but I only have to actually physically do design, development, project management, that sort of stuff. Well, that's brilliant. So, and now you can, like, do those things properly as opposed yeah. to doing the whole gamut of things in, yeah. a, in a half-assed fashion? That's right, yeah. Well, no, but I did it really well, but it was just tiring. No, yeah. um, uh, you actually get to sleep now as well as do uh, those No, things. I don't, but um, I guess I do, but not as much as I'd like. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's nice to be given sort of, you sort of more work into a brief or a goal as opposed to everything's open slate, I do whatever I feel like when I feel like it needs to be done. Awesome. It's more structured, timelines, all that sort of stuff. And you've just handed us a preview okay. copy of a game. We're going to get it to the table very shortly. Tell us a little bit about that new okay. game and what's happening with it. So 
Boomerang Australia. So last year, or yeah, I, I think it was about 13, 14 months ago, yeah. I put out a very small print run of a game called Boomerang by Scott Arms. But this is a sort of a reimagining of that, a second edition, with all new beautiful arts and rules have changed and so on. It's a bit shorter and cleaner. And what we're going to do is we're going to do Boomerang, we call it now Boomerang Australia, because it's got such good response from people that now we're putting out Boomerang Europe and Boomerang USA as well. Boomerang Wingspan? Uh, it's, it's on the queue, but it's not made yet. Yeah. Actually, we're umming and ahhing a lot about whether the name should still be Boomerang um, because Boomerang Europe doesn't make any sense. Unless you keep coming back. Yeah, the game, the, it works when you play the game. Yeah. It's more like a system. Um, and because the first one, the flagship one, is Australia, it fits. But they're all similar but slightly different. Yeah. I guess you could think of it as like different Carcassonne games that the same thing but have their own feel. Yes. Well, what you could say in your marketing is the tagline of Boomerang. It keeps you coming back for more. Oh, that's you can good. have that one. Okay, I'll, I'll take it and I'll put it in the bit. No, it's really good actually. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Not just good looks here at the dice bed. No, I know. What I'll do, I know you're very, very busy. We certainly are. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. We're going to get Boomerang Australia yeah. to the table very, very shortly. In fact, as soon as we make it back to Hobart, and we'll be so excited to tell the listeners it's coming to Kickstarter. Is that right? Yeah. Mid-February, right. so two, three weeks. Fantastic. Thank you. Lovely to see you again, David. You take Thank care. Thank you. You're wonderful. You're wonderful, Mark. So that was Mark and Dave Harding. Apparently I am. At CanCon discussing Boomerang, which we just played before the show. That's right. So, now, sorry, I just want to jump in and apologise for the quality of the audio. Just because, and we're going to talk about CanCon right now, CanCon. How massive was CanCon? Well, let's talk about that, Mark. But one downside of that was trying to find a quiet spot somewhere in CanCon to do an interview. There was plenty of quiet spots, Mark. It just you trying to convince someone, let's go to a quiet spot. <laughs> may to, not have worked Come so to well. a quiet corner with me, uh, David. <laughs> so we, we sort of tucked ourselves away in a little alcove and same with Martin where we went up to a room that when we walked in there was really, really quiet. Oh, yeah. Because it, <laughs> it had some Warhammer guys in there playing quietly, you know, rattling a few dice and talking nicely to each other. But then straight after I started the interview, they all got like really loud and they started shaking their dice really loud. So anyway, I had to obviously play with the audio and, and tone it down a bit. So I do apologise for the quality of the audio. It's good to see the level of professionalism <laughs> hasn't increased while I've been away. Not <laughs> in the slightest. So look, we are going to talk about CanCon, which Mark and I were very lucky to go to. CanCon, which runs for a Saturday, Sunday and Australia Day public mm -hmm. holiday this year. So there was 24 to 27 January in our nation's capital. Look, Mark, you flew in Friday night. I, I arrived uh, Friday afternoon-ish uh, on the end of my long service leave. And when you arrive into Canberra, you go, wow, this is the nation's office filing drawer. Every bureaucrat <laughs> worth their salt lives and works here. Mm -hmm. What kind of gaming scene does our nation's capital have? And then at about 9 o'clock on Saturday morning, you go, oh, wow. Yep. This is the gaming scene that our nation's capital has? You drive to what is appropriately known as Epic. 
And then you try and find a car park, yep. which is an epically big proposition because I had to park about 150, maybe 200 metres away from the front door of the Kurong Room, Knee Hall, which is one of three halls. Mm. Each hall would be at least 100 metres long and probably about 30 or 40 metres wide. So yep. is that an acre in the old terminology? That's I don't a, know. It's a big space. It's a big space. <laughs> there are a hall. There are. There is a hall, which is about two-thirds wargaming, a bit of retail and the second-hand stall, which we will get to. Oh, my goodness. There is another hall, which is about two-thirds wargaming, and then mainly retailers mm-hmm. for those wargaming. We're talking miniatures and terrain and all of the bits and bobs that go along with that. Yeah. And then there's another hall, right. and it's the Kurong one, which I know because, oh, boy, did we spend some time in that room. <laughs> yes. Which is about, what, 50-50, I'd yeah, say? Yeah, yeah, I was going to say about 40-60 or so, but there's a massive amount of some more wargaming that's... Where the bulk of the retailers are as well, you've got Games Capital and you've got a few other major retailers, and then you've got the board game library. Yeah. And the board game library, for Mr and Mrs Average Joe board gamer walking in there, is one of the few places I actually need to pay for. Unless you're going to CanCon to be competitive, be it in card gaming or war gaming or any of the other events that they have on, which is a lot, mm-hmm. the board game library is one of the only, if not the only, paid entrance part that you need to, to go to to get to CanCon. Garth, you did actually forget to mention the uh, entire separate building that hosted role-playing games. Yes, and I also forgot to say that there was another second level where there was more competitive tabletop mm-hmm. wargaming. There was also a card game room for yep. to have, you know, magic and those bits and pieces. Yep. Not to mention the hallways that connected those rooms were full of more retailers. Yes. Mm. So look... Are you getting the feeling here, Leon? I'm getting the feeling that I was in a factory for 12 hours while this was going on every day. (laughs) You Mm. should have that feeling, Leon, because we were in a factory of dreams and magic and wonderful stuff. Yeah, I thought, well, I kind of was too, but in a slightly different way. So, look, we, and I I say we in the royal sense in that it was Mark and myself, arrived at 9am on Saturday morning. Mm -hmm. We met at the front door because you'd spent the night with a friend and I'd spent a night with some other friends. Mm -hmm. And we both just lifted our jaws off the floor and went, what have we got ourselves into? Mm. Because our comparison for events is for you two, LFG Sydney, for me, mainly BorderCon, and then obviously we've all done PAX Australia. Yeah. And we just didn't quite know what to expect with CanCon because we know it's big, but we didn't know what to compare it to. Yeah. Mm. And you walk in and you just get slapped around the face in all kinds of board game and tabletopy goodness. Mm. Now, it must be said that the war and miniatures tabletop gaming scene is enormously massive and people mm. fly from overseas to get here. The reason I know that is because I met my parents and children there and my mum started a conversation with some person with an amazing setup and he goes, yeah, I'm about to wait and play a game with a guy who is still at the airport about to fly in or land and get here. It's remarkable. Yeah, I was absolutely stunned by the real estate taken up by those miniatures games, whether it's Warhammer 40K or the original Warhammer or your sort of like Flames of War or 
I don't know what the First World War one is, but all those miniatures There's games. There's also Star Wars Legion. Yep. And, and the thing is with the tabletop wargaming side of things, it, it is slightly different in that they rent space. Yeah. You will get this table that allows you to build a, a scene or a setup this many metres by this many metres, mm. and it stays there, or you've rented that space for the whole weekend. So it is remarkable, even if you have no interest at all in that side of gaming, yep. to walk through and see... The amazing setups that these gamers have, they are truly art. It's remarkable. Yeah. So we're not going to talk about that anymore because that's not what we know. And it's depressing me. Well, <laughs> it just goes to show that there are levels to this hobby that are deep, 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 deep because there are people who have A-frames that, especially in the historical side of things, will tell you all about the scenario they're recreating, the history of it. It's remarkable. Anyway. Board gaming. The board game library, which is a massive event in itself and mm -hmm. probably comparable to what? Bigger than BorderCon, I guess, in terms oh, yes. of size of space anyway. BorderCon hosts about maybe 220, 250 I, people. I actually think that it's a little bit hard to tell, but I think if you look at the tabletop area in packs, it's sort of mixed with. You've got the, the PAX library, you've got role-playing, which is sort of hanging around the edges, you've got model painting, you've got retail. I think that the pure tabletop scene at CanCon is actually bigger than the pure tabletop scene at PAX. Well, we were, I was speaking with good friend of the show, Cam, Cam and Joe, who we stayed with, and Cam is part of the BorderCon board games library area. He personally put up 120 tables yep. and associated, associated mm -hmm. seats. So anyway, we don't have much more time to this. Needless to say, this library is remarkable. The space is fantastic and it's full. Yep. Unless you have a lanyard that says you have paid for today or this weekend, chances are you're not getting in straight away. Yeah, it was a sellout. We got there, as I've said already, at 9 o'clock and you already had to go and pick out a seat because there just weren't that many around. It yep. was incredible. And I may be addicted to this now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's only taken us, what, like five years to finally get there, but I'm glad that at least some of us have made our way there. We've talked about it for a long time. It yeah. is so worthwhile. And, look, I know um, a lot of people ask on the various Facebook groups and the social media, like, what are the cons? Where should I go? And look, we have always been a huge fan of BorderCon because we've been going there for five, six, seven, maybe eight. even eight years for me. Um, we're a big fan of LFG in Sydney because they have a big open play and area. And the Essendon Unplugged one in and Canberra. And LFG Essendon Unplugged, which needs more people to go to it. And we've also gone to PAX. But I think if I had to choose between PAX and CanCon for sitting down and playing games, I would absolutely choose CanCon. I think the environment is brilliant. I think the library is so well run by our friends Terry and Merrin and all their volunteers. Mm. But it just, you, you know, you've got a dedicated space. You don't have to fight your way through the video game crowd to get there. No, but you have to fight your way into that space. The best way to do that is to prepay for your tabletop yeah. entry because yeah. otherwise... You're just going to wait. Mm. And no, it's not, not expensive. A, not only did we play a whole heap of new games, we played a whole heap of old games. You know, as we said, Martin Wallace was there and Martin would have probably played with 30 or 40 people over the weekend. Yeah, but we he only lost to, to a couple, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> Hadn't played games for about a month, had been on holidays, you know, the designer. And as he said, he had his prototypes. He had a couple of different prototypes. He had the basically finished version of Rocket Men, which is on Kickstarter now and we might 
be talking about shortly. Um, there were a whole heap of designers from the Australian board game design scene with prototypes they could sit down and play with. We were lucky enough to play with Tegan Smith with her um, jump to Jupiter sort of flicking worker placement spaceship game late on the Saturday night, which is pretty cool, and we'll probably post some photos of yeah, that. Yeah, very late on the Saturday night, in fact. But, yeah, the, the designers, I couldn't name them all, but basically all it felt like almost the community of the Australian tabletop game designers yeah. um, Facebook group, they were all there. There was a lot of them. It was remarkable. So, look, for anyone who lives on the east coast of the mainland... Do yourself a favour and get to CanCon. Well, hang on, Garth. We haven't mentioned, or you mentioned it very briefly, the second-hand stall. Oh. Like, I walked in there. You, you, we'd gone to lunch from playing board games. You, were at, you uh, were at the food caravan. And I said, oh, let's pop in here and have a look. Oh, the second-hand stall. I might go and have a bit of a walk around. I walked around maybe one-third of the second-hand stall, which took me about four... 10 minutes. You were very lucky I, not to have your gyros eaten. Yeah, and then I thought, oh, I better go and get my food because Garth will be sitting there looking after my food. It was massive. I've never seen anything like it. And apparently you you organise beforehand, you take your game, they give you a barcode with a thing on it, you stick it on there, you wrap your game in plastic and then basically they manage it for you and you just turn up and collect your dollars mm. or your games that haven't sold. I have never seen anything like it secondhand wise. It was so, it was like 10 BorderCon math trades. Yeah, so look, I mean, the overriding feeling from this is these guys have done this a long oh, yeah. time and they've done it a lot and they know what's going on. They've got a well oiled machine going. So we turned up, we had a wonderful time, admittedly. I want more time there. Oh, yeah. It wasn't enough. Three full days is not enough. But that's every convention. Of course it sadly. is. And you spend so much time talking to your friends and your new friends and play games and then you go, yes, let's play this other thing. Yeah. And it just time just stretches and disappears on you. It's remarkable. So, Leon, you should try coming to yeah. board CanCon instead of working all the time. I'm, I'm happily. I would happily <laughs> do that. So, look, that's all we're going to talk about at least this week. Yeah. For CanCon because yep. Mark certainly got plenty more audio. We've certainly got a lot more experiences. We're going to throw it to a song, and then as you alluded to, Mark, we're going to give you a little bit of a Rocket Men debrief because it is live on Kickstarter and it's Martin Wallace with the Dice Ben Cometh on Edge Radio 99.3 FM. Hello, everyone. It's Mark here, the eldest statesman of the Dice Ben Cometh, just wanting to take a quick opportunity to say Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much to everyone that has been supporting us on Patreon recently. We've had a little bit of a jump in supporters and we appreciate it so much. Every cent that you give us goes into getting us to board game conventions, things like BorderCon, PAX, Essen Unplugged, and even hopefully early next year, CanCon where we can report back to you on what's happening. We'll have interviews with designers and artists and publishers and gamers as well, and you'll know what you're missing out on. We appreciate your support so much. Look, if you've been on the fence thinking about whether or not to support us, I say just jump in for as little as a dollar a month. You won't even notice it, but we certainly do, because unfortunately, airfares out of this little island where we live are pretty expensive. But hey, enough of me. Let's get back to the action. Thank you again. Talk to you soon. 
That was Death Cab for Cutie there with title and registration on Edge Radio 99.3 FM with the Dice Men Cometh, proudly brought to you this week and every week by our good friends at LFG. Check them out at lfg.com. No, I've got that wrong. lfg-oz.com.au. Jinx. Yes, anyway, I got there in the end. So, you guys went to stupid CanCon and played all the stupid board... I don't even like board games anymore. I don't stupid... Anyway, and you, and you played a game with some Martin Wallace guy who thinks he's one of the best designers in the world. Because, Two games. Because, because he is and what, and you hung out and all the cool stuff. Two so, games. And we went to dinner with him. Do you mean the designer of Brass and yeah. Australia and Wildlands and a handful of stars and Via Nebula and Mythotopia and Study in Emerald... And Discworld and a few acres of snow. <laughs> Nanty narking. Age of industry and like other things as well. I mean, him being so successful, he should be ashamed of himself. He's taken money out of the pockets of other designers, as far as I'm concerned. He's a bad person, just like you two. So anyway, you played his newest game, which is on Kickstarter right now, Rocket Men, and it is going to end very, very soon, which is why Mark has kindly asked me to get this podcast up <laughs> as soon as humanly possible, which is what yes. we're going to do, which is why you're listening to it right now. On Correct. So this is not... The board game version of the story of Elton John. Which I was very disappointed with, I must say. Because I'm a rocket man. Okay, edit that bit out then. Um, So look, this is the latest design by Martin Wallace. It is published by Phalanx, who you might know published U-Boot. Yeah. Game of the year 2019. Yeah, my number two game. Um, So look, this game is about space. But it's not about Space. NASA. Oh, right. It's about you, Leon, being Elon Musk, or you, Mark, being Jeff Bezos, oh, or yeah. me, Garth, being SpaceX. Ooh. And you are all private billionaires running competing space agencies trying to get to, not space, but Earth orbit or the moon or Mars. And this game is a deck builder e. with... Risk mitigation Mm. with failure. If your name starts with a G and ends with an H and has art in the middle. And is the latest designed by Martin Wallace. So in this game, Rocket Men, up to, I believe, four players are going to be drafting cards and then creating a mission independently of each other to try and get to Earth orbit or the moon or Mars. Not drafting. No, it's not drafting, it's just deck building, sorry. So, look, you're going to start with the same decks and then you're going to spend your space bucks or earth bucks or billionaire bucks, whatever you want to call them, to buy more cards. Those cards will go into your discard pile and they'll run the basic same way that every other deck builder works. Except, Garth. Except. Fine. No, no, I just wanted to highlight is your starting deck in this game, instead of being 10 space bucks, 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 one rocket point, one rocket point, one rocket point, if it was like the Dominion, is satellite mission to Earth and and so on and so on. You've got all the missions you can do are your starting deck. They might also be worth 10 space bucks or one rocket point or whatever, but the cards are sort of multi-use in that you can use them in to set up what your mission is going to be. You can use them to put on the launch pad for extra rocket points. Yeah, well, a lot of deck builders have maybe one or two major currencies in a game, and this Mm. one has a couple. So as Mark said, you've got your space bucks, which is what you use to buy more cards. As soon as you use a card for its space bucks, you discard it. Eh, we've all seen that. However, 
You will choose one card out of your active hand of six cards and you will choose that to be your mission card and that goes conveniently on the mission section of your player board. Now, each mission may say you get to Earth orbit or to the moon or Mars or it may in fact say all three of yeah. those things. What it will also tell you is how many rocket points you need to spend to be able to get that far into space. Earth might say you need three rocket points to get there. But Mars, you might need 15 to get there on some of these missions. And it also depends what the mission is. So as, as Martin mentioned in his interview, to get a satellite into Earth orbit might only cost you two or three rocket points. But to get a, an orbital shipyard into Earth orbit, even though it's not far away, it's a massive thing. So it might cost you, you know, seven or... I can't remember, seven or eight rocket points to get it into Earth Correct. orbit. If you want to send a manned base to Mars, for example... That's 15. Yeah, you need a Trust lot me, of rocket I points. Know. Yeah. So these starting cards, because they're multiple use, you're saying that they're handy at the start of the game, but they could also come in handy by the game's end as well. Absolutely. You, you always that, need missions. Yeah. That alone in a deck-building game, it's so simple... Mm -hmm. Why has no one ever done that? That is genius. You yep. have to ask Martin Wallace. I will ask Martin Wallace. Yep. All right, so look, you'll do that. You'll select a mission. Now, as soon as you've selected a mission, you're going to then start creating the resources for that mission. So you need your rocket points to get there, but then you also need potentially some risk mitigation, I dare say. Mm. Now, each of the missions to Earth, to the Moon and to the Mars will have a, a symbol. You might have, I need to get to the Moon, so I need to get cards with a beaker symbol on it. Every beaker symbol in my list of cards that I'm going on as part of the mission, that's going to progress me one space up the track to the moon. I think the it's more like of those science I, or something. Yeah, the it? more yeah. of those I have, the closer I'm going to be without actually spending doodars. So anyway, you do that, you prepare, you also can put some cards in which might adjust the next phase of the game in your favour, and then you decide to launch. And this is where the deck builder changes completely mm. and ceases to be a deck builder. It, ceases, it starts to become a, oh, ooh, ah, he, ah, ooh, hot, hot, hot. Um, because there's a face-down deck of cards, which I don't know if there's a name for this deck, but it should just be the pain deck of misery. <laughs> but it's probably like the mission deck or the space deck or something or yeah. other. So anyway, you always shuffle this deck and the deck is made up of cards with numbers. Those numbers are ranging from zero to four. We said you need a certain number of rocket points. Well, once you've got your rocket points, you know how many cards you're able to flip over to hopefully succeed on this mission. To the moon, you might be able to flip over four cards. You flip over a, a, a card and it's four. You get to move four up the track. That's great because I only need to get to eight to get to Earth orbit. But then the next card I draw is a zero. Yes. Oh. I only get to draw one more card because Earth orbit, I can only draw three cards and I'm now stuck at four. And I know that there's only one or two fours in the deck. Mm. What am I going to do? Do you push your luck? Do you abort? Do you go out in flames or do you succeed? That's the challenge that awaits you with Rocket Men. Yeah, and so what you're able to do is if you abort the mission before it finishes, <clears throat> excuse me, you will lose a number of cards from the launch pad equal to the number of cards you flipped over. Whereas if you go full hog and try to get there all the way and fail, you lose Everything. every card on the launch deck. So because you're putting rocket points and you're putting your, if you're going to the moon, say you're putting your beaker cards, or if you're going to Earth orbit, you're putting your computer chips, or if you're going to Mars, you're putting your DNA symbols, mm -hmm. you're putting extra cards into the launch pad. So you might be going to Earth orbit 
where you only get to flip three cards. Uh, but you, you might think have... you're going to Earth Orbit, Mark. <laughs> That's right. Trust me. But you might have six or seven cards on the launch pad. So if you're bought after two flips, you're only going to lose two cards. But if you fail on the third flip, you will then lose all six cards, let's say, for example, that you had there. And that's that push your luck, risk mitigation, because then there are also cards, because did we mention it's a deck builder? Mm. There are cards you can buy um, in the deck building phase. Firstly, they give you more rocket points. But secondly, that do other special things. Yeah, they allow you to maybe redraw one of those cards that is the, the track up the, the mission deck, I guess, or that might give you another couple of boosts up yeah. the spaces without you having to spend rocket points on it, or might allow you another different ability that will hopefully get you to a successful mission. I don't think I bought any of those cards, and well, even if I did, they didn't appear because you and I had remarkably different experiences with this game. Yeah, and there was even some, um, like, bad cards, if you like, where they clog up your deck because they don't actually do anything. But by buying the card itself, you get two victory points. Correct. Now, did we mention there's a victory point track, and Endgame is triggered by getting to, to a, certain a certain number of victory points based on how many players. Obviously, once you get over that point, then you fin I think you finish the round and play one more round, and then that's it. But, look, it, so it's a deck builder. It is. With the risk mitigation and the pushy luck. Now, the pushy luck isn't massive. The risk mitigation it can is, be massive, though. is that's really important. Well, I think you reduce the pushy luck by the risk mitigation. Mm. Look, I... I'm a big deck builder fan, you know that. I do. Um, I really enjoyed this. Um, the track on the board, the risk mitigation is something that I haven't seen in any other deck builder, and I really, really enjoyed it. Well, look, I had really bad luck with this game, and that's the nature of a game. The good mm -hmm. thing is it plays quick. It's a fast deck builder. You are not going to spend all night doing this. The other thing is if you are on Kickstarter, it is good value for what you get. Oh, yeah. If you like deck building and you like space, Go on and spend money on this because it comes with minis. It's a really reasonable price. I have no idea what the shipping is, but you are buying a Martin Wallace game that if you like the theme and you like the challenge of this, you will get a lot of fun out of. I had a lot of bad luck and I dare say the second time I played it, I wouldn't have such bad luck. Mm. But that's the nature of deck building and it's also the nature of this blind draw on the mission deck. So anyway, that was Rocket Men by Martin Wallace. We are out of here. Mm. I'm Garth still. I might even be back next week, guys. <laughs> Crazy talk. We will have more CanCon audio next week, but in the meantime, check out lfg-oz.com.au. Check in all our social medias, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Hit us up on Patreon, and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us. Bye. Bye, all. You've been listening to another episode of The Dice Men Cometh, proudly brought to you by LFG Australia. Be sure to check out lfg-oz.com.au for all the details of their flagship events, LFG Sydney and LFG Essen Unplugged, as well as their online and physical retail store. You can find us at dicemencometh.com or on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. And don't forget, you can support us on Patreon too. Thanks for listening.